0: Hi everyone. Before we get started, we would like to ask a favor. Please leave a five-star review and a like on whatever platform you're using to listen to Planet Fear. It's a small thing that helps us so much. Also, don't forget to follow or subscribe because we release a new episode of Planet Fear every week.
1: Warning. Some of the subjects we discuss may be too intense or graphic for some audiences.
0: A female was picked up, blindfolded, and gagged. Robin shot her point-blank in the head, put chains around her neck and legs, attached two bowling balls, and threw her into the water. I understand her body was not found. Edward Spritzer.
1: You know, I would like to say something just out the gate about this one. Not even going down the rabbit hole. There was no rabbit hole. It was all just laying on the surface. One of the most disturbing, jacked up, I mean... I'm speechless. I don't. I don't even know how.
0: I don't, I was telling someone about this before I came over here to record, and I said, "This is going to be the worst one so far." And they just looked at me like, "What?"
1: I walked away from my computer during.
0: My yes. I, they were like, "After everything you guys have done, I'm like, oh yeah, this one's so much worse." Yeah. Hold on to your butts. The world is a fearful place. We are
1: surrounded by people and things that would do us harm.
0: Some walk among us every day, while others lurk in the shadows, a threat unknown. Join
1: us as we discuss all of the things that frighten us most, from the paranormal and unknown,
0: to the true and horrific crimes committed by our very own kind.
1: With Matt Knapp
0: and Lauren Smith
1: on Planet Fear. I was not expecting this. I mean, whenever I first ran across them, I was like, seeing all the labels, you know. Serial killer. Satanism. Like, <laughs> you no. know? Yeah. Uh, uh serial rapists. Yeah. Like they're hitting on all these marks. Yeah. Still had no clue. <laughs> no uh, clue where I was headed.
0: But wait, there's more. <laughs> yeah. So we are discussing the Ripper Crew or the Chicago Rippers.
1: Not to be confused with Jesse and the Rippers, the band of Uncle Jesse's on Full House.
0: I really thought you were going to go Jack the Ripper, but you went. I went, I went just, Jesse. Golden Girls is not your only.
1: It's not. Uh, guilty Lots pleasure there. In that okay.
0: <laughs> Little known facts about Matt. Yeah. I will have a quiz later and whoever wins will get a sticker. Um, so we have the Ripper crew. This was a satanic cult and organized crime group composed of, oh, just wait. Serial killers, cannibals, rapists, necrophiles, and ebophiliacs.
1: Things we've never heard of before.
0: So that last one there, yep, that one's very specific. I had never heard of that. An ebophile is a person who is primarily attracted to late or post-adolescence or children who have gone through puberty and have advanced signs of adult sexual maturation. Basically, teenagers between 15 and 19 years old. Yeah. That's that's quite the roster there.
1: Quite quite the lineup. Yeah.
0: Doing research for this I I have to admit I was sitting at the tire place <laughs> when I was doing research on this waiting for my tires to be changed and I felt really weird with all the people around me because I had a piece of notebook paper in front of me and I was writing down cannibalism and necrophilia. And I would just kind of look around. And then well, like, that's when
1: I'm taking yeah. criminal psychology. Don't it's it's
0: fine. It. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not taking notes, you know, it's my spare time. So this group was led by Robin Gecht and he had three associates, Edward Spritzer, and brothers, Andrew and Thomas Kokorelis. They were suspected in the disappearances of 18 women in Illinois between 1981 and 1982. Eighteen in two years.
1: We've talked about a lot of killers, and that's pretty active. Yeah, the Night Stalker didn't
0: even have that in one year. It's
1: pretty active.
0: (laughs) Not much is known about the crew prior to the killings, other than that their leader, Robin Gecht, was employed at PDM Contractors, which, coincidentally was owned by fellow serial killer and rapist John Wayne Gacy. That's right. Gecht had also been accused of molesting his own sister. Uh,
1: later on, whenever the police started investigating him, he had gotten in trouble before for the sexual delinquency of a 14-year-old girl. And according to the police reports, he had, in fact, molested his own sister and his parents sent him to live with his grandparents after it happened. Now, this guy, as you'll find out, you know was definitely the ringleader the the brains of the operation so to speak but keep in mind while all this is going on and you're hearing about this guy at home was his wife and kid he was a family man
0: it's just too much especially since this took place in his apartment most of the time how
1: family man with a satanic (laughs) cathedral in the attic what so <laughs> what his 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 wife from what i read his wife had like a late job at night and he would wait for the kids to go to bed and off to the attic they went he looks nice
0: everybody looks nice i mean that was said about every serial killer pretty much everyone was just like he was the nicest guy yeah but it was
1: just so weird whenever you're reading this stuff about what he was doing mm-hmm. to the victims. How did and they not? The, yeah. The picture is like an Olin Mills of like him and his wife and his little boy. And it's yeah. like, man, I you guess are he, messed up.
0: he had that one room that they did not go into. I don't know. Let's talk about the modus operandi. Spritzer and the Cocorelli brothers would drive around the city in their van in search of victims. When they found a potential victim, mostly prostitutes, but not all, They would take them to Gecht's apartment, which he called the Satanic Chapel, (laughs) where the victims would be beaten, tortured, raped, and mutilated in ritualistic ways.
1: I've never heard of this ritual. (laughs) Uh, Oh, do (laughs) you practice a lot
0: of Satanism, do you, Matt?
1: No, but I mean, just usually... Is there a room in
0: this house I should not go into while I'm here? I'm just
1: saying, usually, you know, there's some robes and some chants and...
0: Oh, is there usually? Do you know a lot about uh, this? I am um, just Some
1: chicken blood or something? I feel I nervous know. right now. You're fine. <laughs> I'm not. Nervous. Everything's fine.
0: Oh, my God. I am that dumb girl in a horror film that is going to <laughs> die. <laughs> I'm laughing nervously because this material gets so much worse in the next part. I'm just going to get it over with and talk about what they do. And I, then we I, can...
1: th- I think that's kind of what you had to just rip the bandaid we are off. You're ripping
0: the bandaid off, so hold on to your butts. Their victims would be killed in a variety of ways. Oh, variety. Such as stabbing, strangling, shooting, and even hacking with an axe. Gekt would read passages out of the Satanic Bible as his partners were brutally killing the women. In every case, and I cringe, they would remove the victim's breast with a wire garret while she was still alive. And for those of you who don't know, That is a piano wire that assassins use to take someone out.
1: I mean, you can basically take somebody's hand off. Yeah. Head. It's
0: very sharp. Very useful. Very clean. A
1: thin, strong piece of wire with two rings on the end.
0: They would take the breast off while Mm. she was still alive. Each of them would masturbate into the flesh, cut it into little pieces, eat it, and then what was left over, they would... Um, basically put in a box and offer to Satan as a sacrifice or a gift of devotion. Because nothing, you know, that's, that's the new Hallmark card right there.
1: They were acting like they were at church. I mean, uh, one, of them, one of them called the actual cannibalistic acts like their communion.
0: They took that whole of the body of the blood a little too seriously. And
1: sometimes whenever they would kill someone, they they would always return to the apartment where their satanic chapel was, but sometimes they would kill people just like out in other places. And like some people were alive, yeah. some of the women were alive while this was going on.
0: Yeah. So they it said yeah they would uh, remove it while she was alive. Um, so after they killed the the person the woman. They would dump the bodies in alleys under bridges and in forests located on the outskirts of the city.
1: Which I also found interesting because the connection to John Wayne Gacy. Mm -hmm. I think it was authorities talked to Gecht about John Wayne Gacy Mm -hmm. and whenever they were talking to him or whenever he was talking about John Wayne Gacy, he didn't seem to be bothered by anything Gacy had done. He just pointed out how Gacy would put his victims' bodies underneath the house and how Gek thought that was his mistake. He shouldn't have done that. And then in this situation, they would dump the bodies in just random spots all over the place.
0: Right. Another interesting thing to note about the John Wayne Gacy aspect is that he once said that he did not work alone and had an accomplice. Now, this claim was never concretely proven, but... The individual in question may have been Gecked. That's a theory yeah. that's out there.
1: I mean, the cops did attribute um, a killing to Gacy and then later on found out that he was out of town whenever it took place and everything. I mean, how many serial killers did Gacy hang out with?
0: It, yeah. <laughs> you know? It's just, it's hard to believe that these two men had worked so closely together for the same company and that they could coincidentally share such evil and hatred that would lead them to these unfathomable crimes and not know about each other's How bodies. does that come
1: up in conversation? You know? Uh, I feel like a serial lunch, killer. Like,
0: I feel like, okay, you know.
1: You think they can spot one another?
0: I just feel like there are habits and traits of each that maybe would clue the other one in, maybe. Or maybe like they're just... trying to kill one another? Or No, just like, oh, you know, you came in today and you had scratches all over your face. Or bruises or you had to, you know, take off a day. I don't know. Just there had to be some kind of habit that John Wayne Gacy had been doing also and he was like, mm-hmm. hmm. I wonder if he's killing people too. Yeah. You know? I don't I just this guy gecked, he ate people, he killed people, he raped people, he necrophilia, he I mean, he was one twisted dude. You're not telling me that John Wayne Gacy didn't pick up on that even once.
1: Or the other way around.
0: Yeah. Something? Although I will say that Gekt only went after women for his pleasures. And right. John Wayne Gacy was fan of I mean, there were the other guys. people that
1: were killed. Um, there was a drive-by.
0: Yeah, but that wasn't for uh,
1: his. Which was really out of the ordinary. Not sure why that happened. Which it could have not even been him. It could have been one of the other guys, you know.
0: Contrary to popular belief, the Ripper crew did not solely target prostitutes. In fact, any woman in the Chicago area between 81 and 82 was vulnerable. Time of day and location did not seem to matter. Uh, For many of their victims were abducted in broad daylight and in well-known public areas.
1: Was the early 80s. Cameras weren't as popular as they are now on everybody's homes and everything.
0: They weren't as prevalent.
1: And like, you know, one of the victims at least was 18 and then another one was 30. But I did notice... In some of the things, there were things that came up in other serial killers. Like one of the women was killed by being strangled with her own bra. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, Which yeah. I
1: thought was kind of weird. Yeah. But
0: that's, yeah. I mean, that is, but if you're referring to the guy we did, right. I, I mean, mean I that know was he, like. I
1: know he came later, but I'm saying yeah. like, it's just weird because I'm learning as we go that a lot of serial killers really do think alike.
0: Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it is a crime of um, convenience, mm-hmm. like what's handy. Yeah. Um, I know that I was listening to a documentary recently about serial killers or uh, murderers, rapists, whatever, that use branches to penetrate the victim. Oh, it was oh, the Florence killer. Oh, that's a really good one. But he would use branches and it's because obviously he could not function And that was what was handy. It's not like he brought along something to use. He used what was handy. It was a crime of convenience.
1: So that was actually one of the details in the court records that I ran across that caused me to walk away from the computer and take a breath on this one. One of the women, uh, they found a four inch long piece of wood inside of her that had impelled her. And then later on, uh, one of the men confessed to having used a wine bottle to rape a woman and broke it inside of her and was talking about the blood was gushing. And and these guys, I mean, <laughs> sex was part of their thing. Yeah. Rape was part of their thing. So for them to do that, yeah, um, not saying it's an excuse in any situation, it's just these guys were really, yeah, really bad guys.
0: Yeah, they clearly did not have physical sexual issues like a normal person that would use and implement they wanted to cause pain yeah and they were all about physical and psychological pain so let's get to the killings shall we now that we've discussed all the fun stuff yeah
1: now that you know what you're in store for on may 23rd
0: 1981 the crew abducted their first known victim known again this is just like the night stalker yeah how many were there that we don't know about A prostitute named Linda Sutton. Her body was found 10 days later after police responded to a call about a bad smell at a motel outside Chicago. Initially believing that the smell was coming from a dead deer, police found Sutton's body in the field behind the motel. She had been handcuffed, stabbed, mutilated, and had her left breast amputated. Because of her body's condition, police only managed to identify her through digital and dental records. Despite efforts to identify her killer, the case went cold.
1: I remember one of the victims, one of the ladies, uh, they said her family was only able to identify her by the clothing. Also in the court records that I read, I mean, they're court documents, so Mm -hmm. it's different than reading about the killings in an article. Right. So in the autopsy reports and stuff, they don't say things like, you know, what particular weapon was used. They just talk about the type of wounds that the device left. Ugh. and uh, It's one almost of the, worse. Yeah. And uh, one of the common items that they would use was an ice pick. But then they start talking more in some of the articles about how knives, ice picks, the lid off of a tin can.
0: Ugh. Just
1: whatever they had available to cause pain and cut you with razor blades. They would just carry these. So imagine Mm. like if for some reason you don't got a big butcher knife or, you know, like you might have just like some razors on you because you're a painter, or you know, whatever. It just looks like garbage.
0: So the hotel was kind of known for a quickie motel for drugs and sex. Mm -hmm. The body was reduced to mostly bones with small amounts of clinging flesh. It appeared that it had already been eaten on by wildlife and maggots. But even in its destructed state, officers knew that they were looking at a murder, as a pair of handcuffs were still attached to the now bare-boned wrist. sorry. A gag was found still crammed into the victim's mouth, and she was wearing a sweater, but her panties were pulled down her legs. Inside her socks, a small amount of cash was found, ruling out that she had been targeted for a robbery. From the state of the body, the detectives thought that most likely the location was not the crime scene, but a dump site. They also didn't believe her body had laid there for the amount of time needed for decomposition, and they took soil samples to determine if her body fluids had seeped into the ground to help prove when she was left there. So much fun. They didn't get fingerprints, obviously, dental records. Um, They figured out who she was. They discovered that she had been gang raped, sodomized, and her left breast was cut off all while she was still alive. A year later, May 15th, 1982, they abducted another woman, Lori Borowski, just as she was about to open the realtor's office where she worked. While investigating the case, Detective Commander and Hypnotist John Milner decided to hypnotize several people who were in the area at the time of her disappearance. One of them recalled seeing a red van at the mall parking lot, but this turned up nothing. With no important leads, her case went cold as well. Her body was discovered five months later at a cemetery in Villa Park. Lori was the fifth victim.
1: Yeah, they're all over the place.
0: The third was the one her car ran out of gas. That was in February 1982. Her body would be found nude, mutilated, tortured, raped, and left along the roadside. The fourth victim is a Hispanic female body. Uh, she was a cocktail waitress. Police found her, her breast had been savagely bitten and someone had masturbated over her body. Um, again, back then DNA wasn't as right. instant as it is now. A psychic would tell police that the crime was committed by a local animal lover who had a family.
1: Yeah, there was a couple things I read about, you know, the whatever you want to call them, profilers in this case. And they were just off on a lot of stuff back then, at least in this case.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. And then we have the fifth victim, Lori Borowski. She was 21. For some reason, it's just always worse when they're either really young or really old. I don't know why. So when Lori's boss, Donald, arrived at work at 830 a.m., he found the door was locked. And as he was letting himself in, he noticed some items on the sidewalk in front of the building. There was a pair of women's shoes, a keychain with keys, and cosmetics. Thinking a woman had lost her purse, he picked them up, took them inside, and called the police. He noticed then that the keychain had the company name on it. Anyway, assuming they belonged to Lori, Donald and the detective went outside and searched the area for her. They talked to neighbors, got a description. A bolo was issued for her.
1: I can't remember if it was... Her place of employment Mm
0: -hmm.
1: was very near her house. And it was like uh, early in the morning. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: She would have the place open by the time her boss would get Mm -hmm. there and everything. And just the fact that, like, you know, these guys uh, snatched her up.
0: Yeah. There's actually a picture of her of all of that stuff. Yeah. And those high heels, she had to have lived really close because those are miserable. Yeah. So her body was not found for four months, and October 10th, 1982... So that's just... Hunters walking through the Clarendon Hill Cemetery close to Westmont made the discovery. Her body had been dumped in the thicket with her clothing scattered nearby. Her family had searched that exact area shortly before the hunters found her. It's assumed that the killers had not only kept Lori alive for quite a while after abducting her, but that they kept her corpse for some time before dumping it at the cemetery. An autopsy would reveal that Lori had been repeatedly raped. A wire had been wrapped around her breast tightly until it cut off her breast. She had been beaten savagely, and it appeared that something had been inserted into the wound from her severed breast. Lori was eventually killed with an axe.
1: Yeah, that was one of the things that they uh, used as a weapon quite often was uh, like a hatchet, I guess, like some sort of axe one of the descriptions I read was that it was handmade Hmm. like they just crudely constructed a hatchet device and most of the times the descriptions I mean you think of an axe it's a cutting tool but it was the victim was beaten to death by the axe so it was like a dull axe
0: So basically like stabbing someone with a dull spoon. Mm
1: -hmm. And just enduring all that.
0: Yeah. That's the part that, you know, you can go over all of this info, all of these horrible details. But if you think about you think about all the all the all the victims who have died quickly Mm -hmm. through serial killer antics. And then you think about these. She was kept alive for a long time and tortured. So she was killed or abducted in May. Body found in October. A few days after apparently they killed Lori, Shui Mak, age thirty, she was the sixth victim. She had only been living in the United States for three years, having moved from Hong Kong to work at her family's restaurant, and on the night of may twenty ninth, she left the family's restaurant after work with her brother Kent. They were in the car and arguing over the fact that Kent had taken a table from the restaurant. He planned to use it to stand on to paint the garage at home. Imagine that being your last. Yeah. It's always something so mundane. That's the
1: argument that led to your death.
0: Yeah. While on the highway, Kent pulled over and told his sister to get out, telling her to get a ride home with their parents. Their parents would be coming along shortly on their way home. He drove off, leaving Shuey at Barrington and Irving Park Roads in Hanover Park along the highway. Ling, their sister, was driving the other car home that night, drove past Shui along the roadside, and it wasn't until both cars got home that they realized that she still needed to be picked up. They left at once to go get her, but they could not find her. Too late. Family called police as soon as they were unable to locate her, and they were worried because she didn't have any money on her or an ID and only spoke limited English.
1: And I read that Gekt was living in the area of her disappearance at the time.
0: Police searched the area but were unable to locate the girl. Ebola was put out and saying that she was last seen wearing a red sweater, black pants, and sandals. On the last day of September 1982, police received a call of a woman's body in a field east of Barrington Road in the town of South Barrington. It was only a mile away from where she got out of her brother's car that fateful night. Her body was found in the red sweater and the black slacks that she had been wearing the autopsy would show that she died from a fracture to her skull, and Ling was only able to identify her sister by the clothes that she was wearing. So here we have the seventh victim who survives. On June 13, 1982, Angel York got into a van with a john. She was a prostitute, clearly. The john turned out to be more than one. She was held in the van where her attackers handcuffed her to the inside of the van. One of the men then handed her a knife and told her to cut her own breast. Angel said that after she did so, the one man went into a frenzy. He took his knife back and he cut her breast more. The man then masturbated into her wound. When he was finished, he duct taped it shut and dumped her out onto the street. Good God. Yeah. It just makes you wonder if they did that to all the others. Did you see anything in your research about that?
1: There is some stuff about Gecht, about where not only at least one ex-girlfriend, but his wife even, said that he would ask them to cut their own breasts. He wanted to stab them in the breast with a pen during intercourse. And apparently, like, his wife went along with it several times. So, this whole cutting of the breast thing as a sexual perversion. I have no other word for it. I don't, I can't wrap my mind around any of this, (laughs) but that was his thing. That, that was definitely his thing that he had always been into. And then whenever the police were questioning him, he said that the love of women's breasts was a family thing that had been passed down since his great grandfather and his wife had large breasts. And then he goes back and says, but all that, you know, cutting and stuff, that would that's not me. That would be a sick individual. <laughs> After he kind of zones out talking about breasts. Yeah, you know?
0: like starts drooling a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, he said all the men in this group had married women with large breasts in order to fulfill their sick needs, but not him. Not him. Angel called the police to report the incident. She described her attackers, but the police were unable to locate them. Unfortunately, she had not gotten a lot of information about the van or the man's names, men's names.
1: I mean, you saw pictures of these guys. Yeah. They weren't good-looking guys.
0: They weren't. They were not attractive, and to me, in the early 80s, they looked like every other man looked in the early 80s. They had longish hair, you Mm -hmm. know, below their ears. They had mustaches. They just every. They almost all looked like they were related, and they weren't. Only two but of them. They were
1: all were. young too.
0: Yeah, they just looked very. It would be very hard to describe them to police because they were kind of generic very, very, looking.
1: Very generic. I'm just saying from a woman's standpoint, which obviously I can't speak from. <laughs> but just <laughs> do the do idea, your best, Matt. <laughs> you know. Even okay, so a lot of serial killers target prostitutes often because they're like homeless people nobody will miss them but i mean just the idea of like getting into a van with these four men Mm -hmm. no (laughs) no 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 don't do it
0: well i mean this one she thought it was one guy got in and it was four and then they hand her a knife and say cut yourself
1: i mean i read one report where they're talking about Uh, it was just two of them out uh, looking for a girl and one of them jumps out of the van and like tells this woman just like get in the van and she said like no or refused or whatever and he just like hit her a few times and Mm -hmm. was like get in the van I mean they were just going around literally snatching women off the streets Mm -hmm. I mean you see like you know Ted Bundy for instance Mm -hmm. would lure yeah. victims yeah these guys didn't lure them they
0: had no finesse
1: no they were just like snatch and grab yeah torture
0: that's another thing that lends to the not john wayne gacy's accomplice theory because he lured mm-hmm. he finessed uh these guys are just they're not smooth about it
1: except for get mm-hmm In terms of getting these other guys on board with him and being part of his crew and the way he tried to manipulate the police officers and everything else. It's just so strange. I mean, in the world of criminal behavior and investigation and everything, Gecht is very often compared to Charles Manson. Yes. Um, It it was that type of situation.
0: Yeah, there are similarities to the Manson family. It's kind of a cult-like group
1: and that's how these guys were described they were living in a uh a motel for a while they all had their own rooms or whatever that were adjoining mm-hmm. and the manager of the hotel said you know they stayed here for a while and they'd have these huge parties and they're constantly taking women to their rooms and they're cult-like they were part of some cult or something yeah like that's how they were described
0: uh, it was said that those who partake in ritualistic killings do so due to a belief that they will be granted supernatural powers. We don't know if Gecht shared that belief, but his accomplices did. Spritzer and the Cocorellis brothers had a strong belief that Gecht did in fact possess supernatural powers, mm-hmm. which he used to control the crew both mentally and physically. The men believed that Gecht had the power to draw people to him, making them feel as though they were in a trance that they could not get out of. Once under the spell of Gecht's powers, the men claimed he could get them to do whatever he desired, be that murder or cannibalism. They claimed there was no choice but to follow his lead, believing if they didn't, they would fall victim to his sadistic ways.
1: Yeah. Once caught, they all became terrified. We did it because we thought he was going to kill yeah. us. You know, he has these powers. But what's interesting is throughout the whole ordeal, none of the men ever fingered him. As part of the killings, they never mentioned his name. One of them was confessing about him playing a part. I believe it was Spritzer. Mm-hmm. And then they said they tried to coerce Gek into admitting. And they're like, your buddy's in there confessing right now. And they took him to the room where Spritzer was confessing. And Gek just acted like it was no big deal. His expression didn't change on his face, nothing. But whenever Spritzer saw Gekt, he went flush and started talking fast and recanted his entire confession and said that Gekt wasn't involved in anything.
0: That's power. Yeah. And fear. Power yeah. through fear.
1: I mean, all these guys, that's what the cops said that, you know, the detectives that questioned all of them and everything got the confessions from them. They all were convinced that these other three men were terrified of Gekt. Mm. however the uh victim that survived that led to them getting caught part of it was gecht giving her a sedative showing a pill in her mouth at the time of the kidnapping mm-hmm. that made me wonder was this part of it where like gecht was giving these victims these pills and then doing all this stuff while they're drugged up but not telling the other guys that that's what he's doing and oh, making it appear yeah. like he had supernatural powers. Yeah,
0: and drugging them too. Well, maybe. they talk
1: about a trance-like state, mm-hmm. you know, and
0: and it said that they suffered from it too. So was he drugging them as well?
1: Possibly. I mean, <laughs> this guy, if nothing else, Gekt was smarter than
0: yeah. the other three by yeah. far. Yeah,
1: and he took advantage of that. Smarter, he sought them out yeah. for that reason.
0: Yeah, just like any. Good cult leader. Yeah,
1: any good predator. Trying any to good predator. He's,
0: you have to have your henchmen that are not as smart, not mm-hmm. as bright, um, who have malicious tendencies. Yeah. Who are depraved. So we're not even done with the victim list. No. <laughs> Eighth victim, Sandra Delaware. August 28th, 1982, Chicago police found the body of Sandra Delaware on the north branch of the Chicago River. She had been dumped under the Fullerton Avenue Bridge. She had been stabbed, strangled, and her left breast had been amputated. Her wrists were bound behind her back with shoestrings and knotted around her neck was a bra. The autopsy would show that her body had been found only six hours after death.
1: Wow. That was luck. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Ninth victim, Rose Beck Davis, age thirty. Like they didn't stick to a certain no. age group, or
1: opportunistic. Maybe Satan was telling them who to pick.
0: Rose was a market marketing executive for Broadview. She would be found September eighth, nineteen eighty two, dead in an alley. She had been dumped under a stel- stairwell of a three story North Lake Shore apartment building in the Gold Coast neighborhood. Found lying on her back. Her sweater was found nearby and appeared to have been ripped off of her body. Not cut, ripped. Also located close by were her blue corduroy slacks. Investigators first on the scene noticed the similarities to the previous victim's wounds. Autopsy showed she had been stabbed repeatedly, raped, and strangled with a black sock. Her face was beaten so badly it was hard to recognize her. Her stomach showed numerous small cuts and punctures. Her breast had been cut and mutilated like the other victims, and a large blood pool had accumulated from her anal cavity. Numerous hatchet blows to her face and head eventually killed her. FBI Behavioral Science Unit profiler Robert Ressler, it's a big name, weighed in on the attacks in Chicago. He said the attacker was uncertain about his sexuality and was most likely bisexual. He described the man as looking effeminate. This last part would prove incredibly wrong since none of the Ripper crew would ever be considered as effeminate. <laughs> no. That
1: one and was rough. And there may have been, yeah, you know, different ones could have been conducting the killing at any given time. Mm-hmm. So you're not really profiling one guy. No. But you would think you are.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it would, at most, I, I think that they would probably think maybe a guy and his partner. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that they did not think it was an entire crew, like four guys.
1: One of the most upsetting, this is so ridiculous whenever you reflect back on it, because these killings were so horrible. Mm -hmm. But the part about she was dumped under the stairwell, just like a piece of garbage, just Mm -hmm. we're done with her. This isn't trying to hide the body. Mm -mm. This isn't chains and bowling balls in the river. Yeah. This that's is just insane. thrown underneath a stairwell in an apartment building. We don't care. Ego.
0: Mm-hmm. It is. It's ego and, and just...
1: And disgusting because... It's blatant disrespect. somebody's family member. That's somebody's yeah. daughter, you know, granddaughter.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's blatant disrespect for another human being, for her as a woman. They used her for their needs and their... I government. can't
1: help, but whenever we talk about these things... The place my mind eventually goes is like, if this was somebody I cared about, right, and just the thought of somebody
0: <laughs> doing yeah
1: doing that to somebody yeah. I cared about it's you wouldn't never get over that. there's no healing from that
0: no someone you love dying is hard
1: there's no answer someone you
0: love being murdered is yeah more difficult, right. and then to be dealt the blow of how it happened.
1: You can talk about this guy being a Satanist, a manipulator, a mastermind, whatever you want to call him. These other guys being less intelligent than him and mental manipulation only goes so far. You know, it's one thing to like, hey, man, dump over that person's trash can. Mm -hmm. But now you're killing and raping and everything. There's no explanation for it. They can sit there and explain it psychologically all day long to me and it would never be enough.
0: No, it's it's like what we talked about on the very first show. Do you believe that people are born evil or become evil?
1: And in the two most horrific ones that we've talked about so far, evil and worship of evil entities has come into play.
0: Tenth victim, Carol Pappas, age 42. She was the wife of Chicago Cubs pitcher Mitt Pappas. This victim has long been speculated to belonging to the Ripper crew, but there's never been any proof. She disappeared September 11th, 1982, after shopping near Wheaton, Illinois. Her body wouldn't be found for five years. It was ruled an accident, but based on the autopsy, it's hard to determine the cause of death. The 11th victim is Beverly Washington, age 20. She's the one who got away Mm. and the reason they were brought down. On October 6th, 1982, Beverly was found by the railroad tracks in Chicago's Humboldt Park. But unlike the Ripper crew's other victims, she was alive, but just barely. The crew, thinking she was dead, had dumped her body. Someone had come across Beverly and called for help. She was found with multiple injuries, including an amputated left breast, a severely slashed right breast, and multiple stab wounds inflicted upon her body. Beverly told her horrific ordeal to the police. A red Dodge van with tinted windows had pulled up to her and asked her how much for a date. Now, recall the very first victim. They had hypnotized people Mm -hmm. and a red van had come up, but there was nothing concrete. That was a year ago. When the driver offered her more than she was asking for, she became nervous. But she got in the van anyways. She told the cops all the details she could remember, including the feathers hanging from the rearview mirror by a roach clip.
1: Very popular Very in popular. the 70s and 80s, yeah. by the way.
0: I'm sitting here thinking about how many times I've seen that. Yeah. Oh, Often God. in Oklahoma,
1: they are attached to cowboy hats.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or attached to um, the string ties. Yeah. 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 Okay.
1: Or a girl's hair. Yeah. You know. <laughs> seen that one as well. Yeah.
0: <laughs> The driver was a slender white man, about 25 years old. During her attack, he wore a flannel shirt and square-toed boots. She said he had greasy brown hair and a mustache. Investigators didn't know it yet, but she was describing Robin Gecht for them. After she was in the van, Gecht pulled out a gun and told her to get in the back. There was a plywood divider separating the cab from the back of the van. She had to go through a hinged plywood door to get into the back. Along the walls in the van were wooden shelves holding tools and electrical wiring. Gekt ordered her to remove her clothes and she complied. Next, he handcuffed her and then forced her to perform oral sex on him. She told investigators how the floor and the ceiling of the van were covered in carpet. She says, then he raped me and shoved some pills in my mouth and made me wash them down with soda pop. As she started to pass out, she saw he had a cord in his hands. She thought he was going to kill her. I blacked out, and the next thing I remember, I was in the hospital.
1: What happened? I never found that in any of the research. How? I mean, why'd they let her go? Why didn't they kill her?
0: They thought she was dead.
1: They dumped her body and and thought she was already dead.
0: I mean, they cut off her breast. They slashed her, stabbed her. They thought she was dead after they used her. It's just interesting to me that there was no one else in the van. So he went to work on her.
1: He was uh, alone on this one. That that's part of the problem so you've got the victims list How but many? there's multiple guys involved yeah um at least two of them had access to the van whenever they needed it i read one number at 17 another at 18 mm-hmm. you know uh there's not a list of 18 people
0: Mm-mm. yeah it says 18 victims over a span of one year but there are not 18 people on the list of victims that they have. And
1: then Gecht was alone on this one. How many others did he do on exactly. his own without telling anybody? How long had he been doing it before he recruited the other guys? And if he found, you know, if speculation is true and he somehow found Gacy. Right. Who's to say that one or two or all three of these other guys Weren't killers as well and just mm-hmm. never yeah got caught for that and never owned up to it or anything. And he found all of them.
0: Well, back to that, the, you know, one of the most famous FBI profilers for BAU said this person's bisexual.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm just saying. Which one? Okay. But <laughs> what if it was gecked
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He works with Gacy. Gacy likes boys. Mm-hmm. Just saying, what if Gacy taught him a few things because Gacy was into sedatives? Yeah. What if that was his supplier for the sedatives? The 12th victim is Rafael Torado, October 6th, 1982. A few hours after police found Washington's body, the Ripper crew pulled up next to a phone booth in their van and opened fire on Rafael and an unnamed man with him. Both were shot. Rafael was the only intended target and the only one to die. The crew had started taking murder-for-hire contracts to earn money and do what they already enjoyed, which was killing.
1: Hey, I got an idea. Let's do this for money.
0: Yeah. I mean, I had that same idea about doing a <laughs> podcast, but, it's yeah. you know, so I get it. But also, no, it's not the same thing.
1: They found an easier time <laughs> getting hired to kill somebody. They
0: probably made a lot more than I have, but probably so, at the cost of their souls, but it's fine. The satanic rituals. So you have to keep in mind, like, they didn't just do all of this in the van.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, they enjoyed doing it. Yeah. It was for a reason.
0: Yeah. The group would regularly meet at Gecht's place after his wife went to work late at night and while his children were in bed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. While
1: they were in bed. Yeah. Dad's upstairs masturbating into a (laughs) breast.
0: I mean, when I put my kids down... I like eat ice cream and Doritos and gummy worms. Like
1: (laughs) Like, I I, and then kept them in a box.
0: Yeah. So they had created a satanic chapel in his attic, complete with an altar draped in red cloth. Of course, the only lighting could come from candles that would flicker across the walls that were adorned with six red and black crosses. The majority of the Ripper Crew's victims would be killed in that attic again. While they were doing everything they were doing, Gekt would be reciting from the Satanic Bible. Also, just want to add this because almost all of the breast amputations happened while the victims were alive. So for the ladies listening that thought maybe they just kept it as a keepsake after she died, oh no, no. nay nay.
1: No, this was not that situation. This was not a serial killer souvenir. This was part of the process. Mm.
0: They would always eat the breast in the attic as part of their sacrament. Even if they had killed the victim somewhere else.
1: If you did not heed the warning at the beginning of this episode and the multiple warnings thereafter.
0: If you thought we were playing around.
1: You're on your own at this point. Mm -hmm. But just to be clear, a group of men worshiping Satan would kidnap, rape, and torture women, eventually killing them. They would cut off the left breast, take turns masturbating on the flesh.
0: While he read from the satanic while Bible.
1: While he read from the Satanic Bible. And then afterwards would cut the flesh into pieces and eat it as satanic communion. <sighs> what is wrong with you? What I'm just so glad we
0: don't bring food to our recording sessions right now. I'm very thankful for that. I
1: I'm just saying I what? Meanwhile, your wife's at work and your kids are asleep downstairs.
0: Sugar plums dancing round their heads. As a parent, I cannot tell you how many times my kids get up in the middle of the night and come into my room or come find me. I'll be in there. I got Doritos and Blue Bell ice cream and all kinds of stuff around me. And here they come. Never fails. Whenever I don't want them to know I'm doing whatever, here they come. Right? Okay, so now imagine you're in the middle of a satanic ritual and little Bobby comes to the door. Dad, I had a bad dream and I peed the bed. Like, did he just put the fear of God into them and, like, they did not leave their beds no matter what? Did he drug them too? I guess not the fear of God. The other, I don't...
1: You have to stop.
0: I'm spinning out of control, but seriously, I (laughs) I need to know. As a parent of children who... That's why
1: you need to stop, because I'm thinking about all those moments where, like, you know vice versa and your kids bust into the room and you're doing something that you don't want them to know about
0: mm-hmm.
1: so you like you know take the glass of wine for instance and like shove it behind your back real fast or like cover it up with like a newspaper all awkwardly
0: i i just could not imagine them. and
1: they're they're killing a woman i mean yeah. in the attic i saw a picture of the attic i looked up pictures of the attic
0: not just killing torturing raping mutilating. the attic
1: wasn't like a big attic
0: like did he soundproof also, the body parts were left in the attic, you know, as, as a sacrifice to Satan or whatever. Did Was there no smell?
1: Well, they said several times, like, the woman was kept for a long time before her body was dumped. Where, we, I mean, that's the thing. Like, there's a lot to this that's not known. And if it is known, they haven't put it out in the public.
0: You know, these guys were scared of him. Like, Thomas Kokorellis talked about being under Geck's will as, you just have to do it. Whatever he tells you, you yeah. just have to do it. Like so many other satanic worshippers, uh, Gecht seemed to always be trying to hear hidden messages in music. Yeah. He would listen to heavy metal music repeatedly, trying to catch the coded secret that he needed to learn. Dark yeah. Side of the Moon played backwards, you know, that kind of thing.
1: Sabbath. <laughs> Led Zeppelin.
0: While Gecht did seem to appear more sadistic than some leaders, he attained his followers the same way, like we mentioned earlier. Men who wanted to be a part of something bigger, you know, they wanted to feel like they were important, special, same as Manson's family. I mean, that was the same thing.
1: You know, I'm confident in my sexuality and my masculinity.
0: Very glad to hear that, Thank you for sharing.
1: Well, I'm just saying, we've had the man crush conversation. You know, Momoa, as a man, (laughs) you see someone like him. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're like, that's what I aspire to be as a man.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I get that. Yeah, me and Kate Beckinsale. Same thing. Yeah. But I'm just (laughs)
1: saying, if Jason Momoa (laughs) tried to convince me, I'd be like, say what? Yeah. I'm not doing that. Yeah. There's no man crush strong enough in the world to make a normal person say yes to any of this.
0: Uh, No, no. No, It's it's they were probably loners their whole lives and... Didn't aspire to be anything and they were included in this grand plan and, and given power and it's it's the same old thing. Well,
1: well Thomas definitely had a low IQ. Yes. They put yeah. it at like 75. Yeah. And he was a special ed student mm-hmm. whenever he had to drop out of high school because he couldn't keep up. Definitely not the sharpest nor the brightest. And his brother was involved. So you not only have this master manipulator in Gek, but you also have this guy's brother who could have been manipulating him as well. Like, if I'm doing it, you're doing it. Yeah. I'm not making excuses for the guy, though.
0: Right, right.
1: I'm just saying, you do have that level of intelligence, at least for him. hmm But the other guys, I mean, what are their excuses?
0: They wanted to be a part of something.
1: But of that...
0: Well, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Go find a bar to hang out at, you know? <laughs> Join a bowling club. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think it's called
0: a league. Really? <laughs> you had to correct me on that? Yeah, Do I look not... like I bowl? Yeah, it was funny because you
1: <laughs> a bowling club.
0: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
1: know what that's called. Clex Shut stamps. up, Matt.
0: <laughs> Join a bird watching group. There. Does that work?
1: Join a satanic church. That's oh, wait.
0: Satanic. Oh, yeah. So now we're closing in on the Ripper Crew. Detective Warren Wilcoz would go to Cicero Avenue, talking to prostitutes and passing out flyers with the Ripper Crew's van details. Chicago police eventually located a van on the 2900 block of North Central Avenue. Sitting behind the wheel was a husky red-haired man that did not fit the description given by Beverly Washington. The officers walked up to the van and looked around inside. It was just as Beverly had described. The driver ended up being Edward Spritzer. When questioned, he said the van belongs to his boss, Robin Gecht. Conversation went like this. Officer, what does your boss do with all this stuff? Spritzer, R&R Electrical Company. Officer, ah, uh, what did you say his name was? Spritzer, Robin Gecht.
1: All of this is very weird to me, how it unfolded.
0: hmm When questioned where he was headed, Spritzer said he was meeting his boss at an apartment that they were remodeling. They followed the van there, and Spritzer asked his boss to come out, telling him some cops wanted to talk to him. First thing the officer noticed was that Robin Gecht fit the victim's description to a T. Gecht was even wearing the same type of shirt and boots that she had described. But most alarming was how calm Gekt appeared. Either this was a complete mix-up, or they were face-to-face with a psychopath.
1: The latter tends to be the case. It's just weird because, you know, they emphasize how this guy, Gekt, had control over the other men. They were all terrified of him. And just as soon as the cops show up. He's like, yeah, this is Robin Gex van. I'll take you straight to him right now. <laughs> yeah. And then, hey, Robin, the cops are here for you. Oh, really? What do they want? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, it probably has something to do with the fact that we've been kidnapping, raping, and torturing women and cutting off their breasts and masturbating on them. And eating them. And eating them. I can't believe that they just didn't just take off and try to get away.
0: Or just, you know, I don't I make up something. I Anything. Not take the, take the van to the... Yeah. I don't think he picked these guys for their intelligence. The officers told Gecht that his van description had been given to them about a potential crime. They informed him that he needed to go to Area 5 headquarters at Grand and Central Avenues for questioning, and Gecht agreed. While this was happening, Tex searched the van, finding a pill. The lab would prove that this was a sedative tablet similar to what the victim had said she was forced to swallow.
1: Because all electricians keep sedative pills in their van.
0: Now that investigators had a name, they started to dig. They found that two years before these murders began, Gekt had been arrested and charged with contributing to the sexual delinquency of a 14-year-old girl, which we've already discussed. At the time of that arrest, he was living in Hanover Park. And so, like we said, that's where victim number six disappeared from. They dug a little further and uncovered that he had molested his own sister as a teenager and his family subsequently sent him to live with his grandmother for a while after that.
1: Now, the woman, I believe, Beverly Washington,
0: mm-hmm.
1: who got away,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that they left on the road tracks and described the van and everything, that was October 6th or something like that, the mm-hmm. first week of October, and the cops approached the van on October twentieth, mm-hmm. that's not very long.
0: No,
1: these guys weren't trying to hide. To me, it still comes back to ego. Like Robin's behavior is just—it goes back. Well, remember, little Richie. That's what I was going to say. Satan will protect me. Yeah,
0: Richard Ramirez. It seems like the
1: same type situation it again. It
0: does. It's a remember with Richard Ramirez, I said he straight up doesn't give a. Yeah. And this is kind of the same blatant, disrespectful, yeah. blatant ego. That's all you can say because. Bundy, every all the other serial killers tried to hide their crimes. They tried mm-hmm. to be sneaky, they lured their victims, they tried to hide the bodies, hide all the evidence. These guys, Satanist, that's a commonality between the two. They just really didn't care. They did not give a flying I
1: guess they know it's just part of the gig. I I, I don't know. Ego or there's there's some something in their personalities.
0: Well, I have to say with the Satanist aspect, they're already rebelling against the norm, right? So with God, you have to follow the rules and you have to be a good member of society and usually, you know, conservative, all of that. Not to get into religion, but we kind of have to here. With Satanism, it's the opposite. Like you're kind of given a free pass to be bad and do whatever the hell you want. So these guys are taking that and going after it with gusto, just like Richard Ramirez did.
1: Based on Satanism from this time period.
0: Based on are, my very limited knowledge of right. Satanism, well, I, honestly. I, I'm just,
1: aw- I'm obviously not a Satanist, <laughs> but I'm aware that, you know, some people yeah. practice Satanism in modern times and, and aren't Aren't this serial killers. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> right. You know. Um, there so, are, yeah. I wonder, does it come from the Satanism or is this something that. This type of personality Mm -hmm. is drawn to Satan. Or is it a higher evil force?
0: (laughs) I think it might be... My personal opinion would be what you said about that type of personality being drawn to it. Because we have plenty of religious Christian Mm -hmm. bad
1: eggs. Yes, we do.
0: And so, of course, every religion is going to have their bad eggs, their bad apples, whatever. So, but I think... It's just interesting to me that both Richard Ramirez, who was Mm god-awful, and this group practiced Satanism. And I'm not saying that all Satanists are killers or anything like that. Right. I'm just saying that maybe they used that as an excuse to really just do whatever they wanted and flagrantly commit murder. Yeah. In the in the most
1: to build themselves up
0: dramatic way possible as well,
1: right in their own mind.
0: Yeah. It's almost like they were seeing how much they could do before they got caught and they didn't care about being caught.
1: Which in his case, Robin Gex, you know, if he was already killing on his own, Mm -hmm. he had already been uh, busted by his parents, molesting his sister as a teenager. He had uh, gotten in trouble for, you know, messing around with a 14 year old. Maybe in his mind he already knew what type of person he was. So he's like, I'll just do what I want until it's over, until the ride's done. I don't know because, you know. I think you You see people that try to hide it too and I think
0: he was ramping up. He had those interactions and as you said, you know, the the wife said that he would make her ask mm-hmm. her to do that as, you know, mutilate herself.
1: But he couldn't get that fix like he wanted. Right without killing or having people kill for him
0: something interesting to me is when he was first arrested he had to be released because there was very little evidence connecting him to the crimes
1: yeah he bonded out yeah and then got rearrested later he didn't even run after after all that i don't i don't get it
0: whenever he was arrested um the newspaper clipping of him he, it said, slashing suspect is arrested. A man suspected of being the modern day Jack the Ripper was wanted for questioning a nearly half a dozen, half a dozen slashing attacks on women. Slashing attacks. Would you call what they did slashing? No. I feel like that's. And very... I wouldn't
1: word it as a slashing. To me, that sounds like somebody took like a razor or something, and yeah. just went up and yeah. started cutting on people, and they ran off and lived.
0: Yeah, this is like to me, this is very understated and sensationalism to me.
1: And I read that it was the authorities that actually coined the Ripper crew as a nod to Jack the Ripper. Which I can see
0: because there were similarities. There were. Although
1: we don't. were also (laughs) completely worlds apart. Yeah. I mean, then the cops pick up Andrew.
0: Yeah, Andrew Cocorellis.
1: And basically through, you know, interrogation. Spritzer and Andrew confessed to everything. they mm-hmm. They're just like throwing it out there.
0: Spritzer had a 78-page statement yeah. in which it was extremely obvious that he was terrified of Gekt.
1: Yeah. Terrified. But Gecht never admitted to anything. No. Everybody else spilling the beans. <laughs> Gekt, no. Didn't have anything to do with it.
0: Spritzer said that he confessed to being the driver. Mm -hmm. when gecht did the drive-by execution he he was basically the driver spritzer was he said that gecht had told him to slow down as they approached a prostitute and after getting in the van gecht had sex with her and then they parked in an alley where gecht and the prostitute got out of the van and gecht proceeded to slice off the woman's breast and bring it back with him to the van Gecht put it on the van's floor and all of that blood bothered Spritzer, he said. While stalking Spritzer said how sometimes when Gecht would slice off a woman's breast, he would get so excited and start having sex with it right away, instead of waiting to get back to the apartment where they had their temple set up. So Spritzer talks about you know the quote at the beginning, how the woman was picked up, blindfolded, gagged, shot point blank in the head, chains around her neck and legs and thrown in the water. He also talked about the time that Gekt had beaten a woman to death with a hammer and how he threw up at the sight of it. He said it took a while before he could remove a breast himself, but at the urging of his great leader, Gekt, Spritzer confessed he wasn't sure if the woman was actually dead when he removed both of her breasts, and he said he didn't try to find out either. But after he removed them, Gekt then forced him to have sex with the wounds. I feel like you can, you can say all day, he told me to do it, I had to do it, but if you're aroused enough to do it...
1: I, I wouldn't be able to do that. Exactly. I don't care who is trying to force me to do it. And Gekt, whenever you look at him compared to Spritzer in photographs, mm-hmm. Spritzer's way bigger than Gekt. Mm-hmm. Gek doesn't look intimidating at all in his photos now that i know size and physicality doesn't always equal intimidation right but this is clearly a group of men that are uh, committing extremely predatorial masculine type crimes i i don't think at the end of the day they can say what they want i don't think any of them can honestly say that they were forced to do anything I mean, if nothing else, there's three of them and one of him.
0: hmm I mean, and at one point, at what point does anyone say, "Hey, that bothers me," and I think I'm going to call the cops?
1: Yeah, I was even trying to think of like, did this guy have something on them? But then they confessed to 18 murders. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. What more could he have on them?
0: I think they just really wanted to be included and be part of something. It's that gang feeling. Of you'll do anything to be included. In all, Spritzer had confessed to being a part of seven different murders. But the interrogation of Robin Gecht goes differently. He just sat in another interrogation room with his lawyer, calm and collected. Um, using information from Spritzer's confession, the investigators pulled up pictures of the seven victims and placed them on the table in front of Gecht. He denied knowing any of them. They took him down, showed him Spritzer confessing, said he didn't look phased. Uh, but Spritzer looked faced. Turned white as a ghost, changed his story, said Gecht never killed anybody, took back his confession.
1: What was he afraid of?
0: When pressed by the police, Spritzer even said that his girlfriend's brother, Andrew Cocorellis, actually killed all those women.
1: I mean, did these guys? I mean, yes, obviously. I mean, they say that they truly did believe that Gecht had supernatural powers
0: mm-hmm.
1: apparently derived from Satan. I mean, was that it? Was that where the fear came from? Something beyond this world? I mean, you've confessed to murders. You're in prison. Like, you're in custody. You're not getting out.
0: And they're still terrified.
1: And they're still terrified just by the sight of him being there. Like, I'm recanting everything. He wasn't there.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: What did they think he could do to them?
0: Watching someone with bloodlust doing what he did to those women. I mean... That would scare me. So investigators took a photo array, which included a picture of Gecht to Beverly, Washington, in the hospital. Weeks later, she was still recovering from her injuries. She picked Gecht's photo as the man who had attacked her. With Gecht not talking, the detectives decided to speak to people in his life that they didn't believe were involved in the crimes. Here's where they find out that women in his life had been asked mm-hmm. to... You know, let him stab them with pins in the breast while they had sex. If you look at a picture of his wife, I'm being super judgy, like judging a book (laughs) by a cover here.
1: Yeah. But. She looks rather submissive.
0: Well, she does look submissive, but she also looks, it's something about her eyes in this picture. Like she just looks like the type that would know it was happening and wouldn't do a thing about it. Like, he's doing that and there. At least it's not me. I don't care.
1: I mean, I know women that have been abused and had children. Look at her eyes. Yeah.
0: Like, she just... She looks cold in this picture. She looks kind of ruthless in this picture. Is
1: it cold and ruthless, or is it completely defeated?
0: Um, That's a good point. She does kind of look beaten down and just... Yeah, defeated. Like no, she, she knew, does look defeated. You're right.
1: If she knew that this was going on, she would have to assume that if she did anything, it would happen to her and possibly their child. Yeah. How did she not, you know, the kid, you know, put a lock on the door. They're not allowed up there. Yeah. Whatever. Wifey? (laughs) I
0: I mean, I know.
1: You can't hide something from your wife. No, not in your own your own home. Not a box full of breasts.
0: I mean, I feel like I know pretty much everything in my house. He had a
1: satanic chapel that he brought other grown men to. Yeah. And took victims up there. Yeah. And did all this stuff to them.
0: It's just our fantasy football league. <laughs> yeah. Charlie. It's, well, it's fine, coming,
1: We're going to play cards. Make some chips. <laughs> I'm just saying. like Poker
0: night. Yeah. If you hear any screaming, we're just excited. We're watching horror films. It's, it's fine. So the detective spoke with people that knew Gekt from the neighborhood. And it turns out it wasn't just his crew that feared him but most people who had contact with him some told the police that gecht had some sort of power over them that he could draw them in and force them to do his will one scared individual told the officer to never look into gecht's eyes or he would be pulled in too. they spoke of despicable acts that gecht had made them do with him things they wanted no part of but that they couldn't say no
1: such as
0: yeah it doesn't say
1: yeah why aren't they in jail
0: hmm. <laughs> yeah Detectives didn't take long to break Andrew Kokorelis under interrogation either. He started talking about the women they had kidnapped and murdered, and the details were eerily precise to the coroner's reports. Kokorelis talked about how they kidnapped women to rape and torture. He admitted to being part of 18 murders and included the names of victims number five and nine as well as describing the rape and murder of victim number eight, Sandra Delaware, in detail. He said they had shoved a rock in her mouth to keep her from screaming while they attacked her. And then um, she was the one with the wine bottle incident. Yeah. Thomas Kokorellis. So when they first spoke with him, he gave conflicting statements and couldn't stick with a story. And when he was taken into the police station, he was given a polygraph, which he failed. Armed with the other confessions and Cocorellis' failed polygraph results, it didn't take much for him to confess. He told detectives that they would take women back to Gex's place, you know, told them everything they did. He said that he once counted 15 breasts inside that box. He also admitted to being present during three murders, including victim number five, Lori Borowski. Elmhurst police detective John Miller, who sat with Cocorellis during his confession, said, I've done so many homicide cases and I've never heard anything so horrendous in my life. He talked about raping the women, stabbing the women, having sex with the knife wounds, cutting their breast off to leave what he called Robin's Mark. So the police executed a search warrant on the homes of the crew. Inside the attic, they found the satanic chapel and also recovered a rifle that matched the shooting of Rafael Torado. In attempting to avoid going to trial, Gek declared he was insane. He was evaluated by numerous mental health professionals and determined to be competent to stand trial. But his first trial ended in a mistrial. Can you imagine being on the jury of that trial?
1: No. Can
0: you imagine? I mean, just... No. the, The descriptions for this show alone were rough for me to talk, like, verbalize and get through. Now imagine sitting through those descriptions with pictures, color photos, or even black and white.
1: And get I mean, to me, throughout the process of his conviction is where his intelligence kind of shines. Uh, It was the one woman that survived that identified him. That's the only thing he admitted to because he knew that he had been seen by her. So he admitted to that before knowing that you know they were going to come after him for that, but that wasn't a murder. The I would, other three I would guys were all murder,
0: but that's just me.
1: Right, but the the other three guys were all convicted of murder, but not him.
0: I mean, the prosecution had laid out their case against him being the leader of the Ripper crew,
1: but he did get 120 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that the <laughs> the whole thing, th- this is where. It all plays out and gets kind of screwy if it couldn't get any crazier. Spreitzer and Andrew were both sentenced to death. Andrew's execution was carried out, but at the time, politically, they are trying to do away with the death penalty and capital punishment yeah. in the state of Illinois. And Andrew was actually the last inmate to be executed in the state. Spreitzer was on death row, but the governor... Uh, Governor Ryan, I believe, at the mm-hmm. time, commuted all of death row to life sentences. And then Thomas had confessed or pleaded guilty to one of the murders in a big from the trial notes, it was a big screw up, basically. They had to like redo the trial. Yeah. And at that point in time I mean you could tell it was all coming from his attorneys and not yeah. him. Uh he he pleaded guilty in exchange for a seventy year sentence and Ended up being released.
0: He was paroled. and He's
1: out right now.
0: He said, everyone thinks I'm a monster. I just want to move on with my life. I've, I'm, I've changed. You know, he's in into the, the other church now.
1: <laughs> Spritzer's not allowed out. Mm-mm. But Gek, if he lives to be 89 years old, I think it was, next year or the year after, I think, is he's available to be paroled.
0: There was some karma for Gecht. November 16th, 1988, Robin Gecht's mother, Loretta, sister Rochelle, and nephew Nicholas visited him in prison. Their car was involved in an accident on their way home, sandwiched between two semi-trucks. All of them died. Yeah. And then, like father, like son.
1: <laughs> March <little> David.
0: <laughs> March of 99, David Gecht, Robin's son, was arrested for first-degree murder. He was 18 at the time. He shot and killed Roberto Cruz in northwest Chicago. He was tried as an adult and received 45 years in prison. Robin, over the years, has given numerous interviews where he continues to claim he's innocent and that DNA evidence will soon exonerate him.
1: Yeah, good luck. Good luck with that, Buzz. Um. He's used all of his get-out-of-jail cards. Mm-hmm. So it would have to be... An outside group decides to take on the task of having him freed and pay for the DNA test and everything and then have it shown that he was innocent. But how? He mm-hmm. he pleaded guilty, you know? Yeah, like,
0: I mean, his quotes, like reading his quotes, it's just very... It goes along with a serial killer's ego. Mm-hmm. It's where they just... If they are a narcissist, if they believe yeah. it hard enough, everyone else... Will, it's like he has deluded himself into thinking it so everyone else
1: shouldn't Yeah, do. he'll talk about serial killers and then point out that he's not one.
0: Though. Yeah, he said, quote, First mistake is considering me a serial killer. I am not considered one. I have never killed or took part in any such acts, nor ever charged in any murders of anyone. End quote. Also, quote, I don't only face the injustices, but the nightmares that follows. You have no idea the pain and hurt I face every single day I sit here and lose hope. I'm not an angel, but I never intentionally hurt anyone unless it was to protect myself or my family. I could never live with killing or knowing I was responsible for taking one's life, quote.
1: So the way that the prison system is supposed to work is punishment and rehabilitation. Obviously, we know the prison system has failed in at least the United States in most places, I would say, if not all places. But Thomas served his time, half of it at least. He says he's a new man. Uh, They let him out. Now, there was a stipulation he didn't have any place to go. So he had family, but uh, his other brothers who were living together in an apartment or something, uh, whenever it was found out that he was going to be released, their landlord told them he's not living here. So he didn't have a place to go. So at that time in Illinois, they can keep them for up to 17 months. If they don't have any place to go. So during the time that he would normally have to check in with a parole officer and all that, he was still in prison technically and served all that time. So after he's been let out, he had to register as a sex offender where he moved to. But that's it. He's, otherwise, he's free to do whatever he wants.
0: He was released from prison in March 2019 after serving half of his 70-year sentence. And as of June 30th, 2019... He lives at basically a, um, a Christian. Yeah,
1: Wayside Cross Ministries. And apparently everybody at this ministry that he's staying at now speaks highly of him. He got like mm-hmm. Citizen of the Month and is very helpful. and <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure he is. Yeah. However, the uh, mayor of the town was not happy. Posted on the internet, on Twitter, I believe. A risk the people of Aurora shouldn't have to take. <laughs> After a nearly a week of news reports that convicted murderer Thomas Kokorellis would be residing in, mm-hmm, following <laughs> his release from custody, the city of Aurora was blindsided over the weekend when they were notified the Aurora Police Department he would be living at Wayside Cross Ministries in downtown. The mayor goes on to explain why he got in trouble.
0: Oh my God. Being
1: involved in 18... Murders at the age of 21 years old. He was supposed to have a 70-year prison sentence, got out early, blah, blah, blah. Goes on to say, the safety of the Aurora community is my primary concern. Falling shortly behind that concerns is my desire to see Aurora continue to thrive as a place where people and families will want to spend time and enjoy all this great city has to offer. Now he's making a pitch on tourism, I guess. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the many good things that the Wayside Cross Ministries does in our community, Their decision suggests that they do not fully appreciate the impact or mere presence of Cocorellis will have on the community as a whole. In light of the unspeakable nature of the crimes committed by the Ripper crew, I would hope that Wayside would reconsider the decision that brought Cocorellis to Aurora, particularly given the ministry's close proximity to parks, churches, and daycare centers. I absolutely disagree with Wayside Cross Ministries' decision to allow him to reside at their facility in Aurora. As a former prosecutor... And later, as a defense attorney, I've seen firsthand that persons can and do emerge from incarceration change for the better. However, I've also seen the opposite, unfortunately, occur as well. As it stands from my perspective, it is a risk the people of Aurora shouldn't have to take. Signed, Mayor Richard C. Irvin.
0: He went for the throat.
1: I have never heard of a mayor doing that or no. a town doing that
0: Mm-mm.
1: when somebody's let out of prison. Just
0: you can't putting
1: them on blast, like, <laughs> like, we don't want you here. Yeah. The ministry responded with, they didn't reach out to him. He reached out to them wanting help, and that's what mm-hmm. they're there
0: for. Yeah. All I can think, and this is not from a female with breasts who should be offended at the mere thought of his existence taking oxygen on my planet but from another standpoint all i can think is that his attorneys could have done a better job of talking about his release communicating the terms of his release Mm -hmm. uh, by offering a name change in there with something relocation or something you know
1: i mean it was publicized i mean whenever you look this guy up whenever you look up the ripper crew on Mm -hmm. google
0: he pops the up the majority of
1: articles are about him getting released
0: thomas Cocarelli and it has youtube videos he does an interview and he says i'm really nervous i mean you can tell he's yeah. so nervous but, you know
1: we were talking about you know his low level of intelligence in a lot of situations the media is probably taking advantage of it mm-hmm. and he's just agreeing to talk to people because he doesn't know any better or isn't thinking yeah Anything, you know, like...
0: He's one of those people he needs someone to advocate for him. And I'm not making excuses. He is a murderer. He did horrible things. I know. I
1: don't think he should be let out.
0: I don't either. I think that he is safer behind bars and everyone else is too. Right.
1: I don't see what he has to offer society. Is it going... Is he going to have... His own family won't let him stay with them. hmm They didn't advocate for him. mm Yeah. I mean, is his life really going to be that much better outside than in? It just seems like there could be a a different way to handle this or a different place for him on either side of the spectrum. You know, whether he deserves some leeway or whether he was directly involved and should be held accountable for his actions.
0: When you think about these guys, uh, especially Robin Gett, had a family, had a wife, had a kid, had a home, had a business... Was secretly raping torturing murdering women in his satanic chapel and it's just terrifying that it could be anyone on planet fear
1: on planet fear be sure to check out our website planetfearpodcast.com for links to our social media contact information and our latest episodes